works or righteousness, then when the truth is revealed about our actual inability to live a perfect life, the very thing that we tried to use to prove uh, our, our goodness will actually prove our guilt. Uh, to put a picture in our minds of, of this religious person, uh, before we read the, the verses from Romans, we're going to read a story from, that Jesus told in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I certainly, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, right? Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. It, that, that list is kind of a, it's an abbreviated list compared to the one that we read last week uh, in Romans 129. And in, in that verse, uh, 129, or 129 through 31, it said, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand and break their promises and are heartless and have no mercy. The Pharisee had a shorter list. He, he made up a list in his mind of ways that he could separate himself from others. Uh, ways that he was superior to them. He also created a list of good deeds that he used to compare to other people. And in his estimation, he was far superior. He looked at the law of God and tried to use it to justify himself, to show his own righteousness. And by doing so, he misplaced the whole point of the law. He had it completely upside down. He used the law to try and build some sort of a resume of his greatness. And then comparing his resume against the resumes of those around him, um, he, he figured he was good. He, got, he was going to get in. His application would rise to the top, and he would be above the cutoff list. The result of this self-righteous attitude was that he had a false sense of holiness. And it caused him to scorn everyone else. Now, this word scorn uh, in the Greek, the, kind of the harshest definition of this, this word scorn would mean to regard others as if they have no value, as if they are worthless. His heart had become hard, um, hard towards others and, and hard towards the truth that, of, of God's holiness and, and who he was. His heart was hard and the spirit of the law was not in him. So what is the true purpose of the law? 
Uh, Galatians 3.19 answers that exact question. It says, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. It, it was not made to, it was not given to us, rather, to make us right. It was put there, it was given to us to help us see that we are not right, that we are in need of help. It's not given to accuse people or put others down, but to warn them that there's danger ahead. And it was given with a promise, a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus. And a, a couple verses later in Galatians, in verse 24, it says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith, through faith in Christ. <clears throat> but we're not to that part yet. We're not to the part we're made right with through faith in Christ. We're in the, the section on the wrath of God. And so as much as I'd like to, to jump ahead, we've got, we've got more to dig into here. So um, before we... Uh, before we move on to chapter 3, let's continue in chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we begin reading, uh, remember that the section just before this is that section that I read just a minute ago that listed all of those sins that, that people were doing, that all of mankind was, was connected with, that were participating in. And so that was the, the condition of mankind. And right after we read that, we read that section, we move into Romans 2, verse 1 where it says, you may think that you can condemn such people, the kind of people who would sin, not, not us, those other people. Um, you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Uh, as we read through this list of sins, and I kind of mentioned this before, but there's some that kind of jump out in our mind as being really bad. Um, and some maybe didn't stick out as much as being as bad. When you hear that uh, somebody is a murderer, uh, or especially if you heard that they're a serial killer, like you've, you'll hear people say, I don't know how God could forgive somebody like that. But nobody ever says that about somebody who gossips. How, can it, how could God ever forgive somebody like that? Like we, we, we sometimes devalue some sins in comparison to others. And, and to, to some degree, you know, that may, that may be right. There, there are some sins that, that God seems to uh, put as, as, as uh, more appalling, but they're all appalling. They're all breaking his standard and they all result in death, separation from God. And so... Um, to, do, to devalue them and treat people like we're on a different level than them. We're all in the same boat. Um, we can be tempted to condemn other people in our mind um, when we know that they've you know, done something that we think is worse than what we've done. But there's other times, it's worse yet, that, uh, that we can condemn people in our minds and we've actually done the exact same thing but somehow it, it just looks a lot worse on them, right? Um, 
Have you ever gossiped and, and not really ever given it a second thought, but then somebody else does it and you think, man, that was a horrible thing for a person to say. But when we did it, we had a good reason to share it. So it's okay. <laughs> Have you ever been greedy or proud and excused it in your mind, but then when you see that character trait on somebody else, thought, what an awful person. You know, sometimes it just stands out more when you see it on somebody else. We don't see ourselves as clearly as we should. It's, it's kind of tough. It's a tough thing to think about, to, to really have to analyze yourself and be like, is that me? To ask yourself, when you read through some of those things, have I done that in some way, shape, or form? Am, am I excusing sin? You know, like recognizing where you're at helps you realize your problem, and it helps you realize that you're not better, you're not superior than other people. So last week we talked about that. We talked about how step one in fixing your problem is recognizing that you have a problem, right? We've all sinned. Uh, we can't uh, judge ourselves against others. We've all failed to meet up to God's holy standard. So um, Romans 2, 2 through 4 says, and so we've all failed, we've all fallen against the standard, and he says, and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness was intended to turn you from sin? From your sin, I should say. <laughs> Missed that word. That's important. Remember, Paul used to be a Pharisee, right? Paul knew what it meant. I mean, he knew the law. He knew the ceremonies. He knew the sacrifices. He didn't miss them. He, he didn't mess up. He was, he was about as good as anybody could be at applying those things. He, he wasn't sinless, but he was above the rest, if you're going to judge according to uh, obedience to the law. Um, he did very well. He was devout. He was religious. Uh, he was the one who was able to look down at his nose at other people based on those standards. But one day, Jesus showed up, and he shined his light on him, and he exposed his sin. And instead of pouring out his wrath on him, which he was deserving of, he showed him love, and he showed him mercy. He found on that day that it was not others who were worthless and that were worthy to be scorned and looked down upon, but it was his confidence in his own righteousness that was worthless. Before his conversion, Paul had been persecuting the new believers, even including being part of them being killed. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting God himself. But Jesus, rather than leaving Paul to suffer the wrath of God for his horrendous actions, he called him to himself. He washed him from his sins and sent him and used him as an instrument to spread the good news. He experienced how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is if we turn to him. If we turn to him. Romans 2, 5 says, 
But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sins, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The New King James Version says it this way, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who is he talking to that has this hardness and this impenitent heart? They're people who have this righteous, this self-righteous attitude um, that are basing their righteousness on a comparison with others. If you are, uh, if you're, if you're right standing, if your righteousness is based on your comparison to others, you have to refuse to acknowledge your sin. There's, there's certain things about you you have to just turn a blind eye to because otherwise it puts you on par with them. If you want, you got to hold yourself to a standard where you can kind of forget about some of those things. You have to block out the truth. You have to have your own set of standards so that you can show that by these standards, I am better. But if you were to look at God's holy standard, you'll find out that you fall short. The self-righteous cling to this appearance of righteousness as if it's a life vest that's going to save them, but instead it's an anchor. It's that self-righteous attitude that keeps them from seeing their need for salvation, that keeps them from seeing that they are not on par uh, with the holy standard that God has laid out. They're hiding their sins behind an outward appearance of righteousness. And because of that, there's going to be a day where there's going to be a judgment and the wrath of God is going to be poured out because they didn't deal with their sins. They didn't accept it. They didn't uh, open their eyes to their need and they based their hope on on a standard that was not God's standard. Romans 2, verse 6 through 11. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, but instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Paul is contrasting two lives. One of them results in eternal life, and the other one results in the wrath of God. And the one thing that separates these two lives is what or who are they living for? In uh, Romans Road, in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, in order to be saved, we need to openly declare that Jesus is what? Lord. Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord and you are living for him, You're doing good not just to look good, but you're doing good to honor him, to show your love for him. And then the other option, the other life, is verse 8 where it says, 
those who live for themselves. By living for themselves, they're declaring themselves as Lord. The Greek word for living for themselves is actually connected to the word mercenary. If you know what a mercenary is, it's somebody who is, you know, will do anything basically for hire. You know, as long as they get paid, they're not going to ask questions and they're going to do it. So as long as it benefits them, they're going to do it. Even, even the good that somebody might do who has this idea or this mentality of living for themselves, uh, even the good that they do is not done out of love for others. It's to get the prize. It's, it's to get paid. It's, it's to, uh, to check a box so that they can add another line of superiority to their resume. The problem is, uh, as we saw in Galatians, that our ability to obey all of the laws only points us to an earned punishment. Nobody's good enough. Nobody can do enough good to pay the debt of their sin. And everyone sins. That, that's our problem. Um, and that's, that's really where we're, you know, what our focus is on what we're, why we're talking about the wrath of God is because we all start out as mankind deserving the wrath of God. And so um, without reckoning, I mean, it's being, you, you can't appreciate being saved if you didn't realize you were in trouble, right? So there's that, you know, just the appreciation that you have for God's grace when you recognize where you're at. But, but also, you're not going to look for salvation. You're not going to find the solution if you don't realize that you need a solution, so as the worship team comes, we're going to um, continue and finish off uh, Romans. Uh, we're just going to go through verse 16 today, but we're going to read the last part here. Romans 2, 6, or 12 through 16. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's law, written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. And as we said, nobody can fully obey the law. Um, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. And we know that this is true. We know that there are people out there who don't know anything about the law of God, and they define certain things that are truly evil as evil. They recognize that there are some things that are wrong. Um, where did that come from? God has written that law in their hearts. Uh, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own consciences, conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. We know better. We are without excuse. I was part of the, the topic of last week as far as knowing God. Like, there's no excuse for not knowing God. Creation declares that there's a God. Um, you have to purpose to and not want to know that there's a God when you look at the world and deny him. Um, but also, you can't deny that you've done something wrong. Nobody can deny. Everybody knows that they've done something wrong. Even if they don't know anything about the word of God, they have it written on their hearts and they know 
that they have done wrong. Last week, we read about how God's invisible qualities are displayed in nature. And guess what? We are part of creation. The fingerprints of God are on us and in us. God's law is written on our hearts. We instinctively know sin when we see it, but we can dull our senses. And that's what the world has done. They've, they've become dark and confused, is what we read last week. The, their senses have been dulled, and they've suppressed the truth. And we, we can have a tendency to do that, too. We keep on saying those other people, right? But there's certain things that we have kind of, we can kind of push down and say, well, it's not that bad, or maybe it's just a sin that just doesn't, for some reason, because we're not allowing God to shine his light on it, or we're not, we're not comparing to God's holy standard. In some ways, we're, we're still kind of tempted to look at other people and compare ourselves to them. But we've still sinned, and, and it's written in our hearts, and, and if we really pondered it, we would see it. We'd see that we've just suppressed the truth that God has put in us. Uh, like that uh, Pharisee in Luke, some of us just pick laws that we like and excuse and suppress the other ones. But mankind has a moral compass and it came from somewhere, right? Evolution can't quite explain that one, but, but we have this moral compass in us. Even before we surrender to God, we know that we've sinned. Uh, we may not have called it sin. We might not have known what it was, but there was something inside of us and our conscience accused us. We knew that we did something wrong. The day is coming when God, through Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. The one who has declared that Jesus is Lord, his secret life is going to be revealed and that God is going to judge all the good things that we've done and we're going to be rewarded for the good because the sins have been washed away. But for those who have not made Jesus Lord of their life, even if they had an outward appearance of righteousness, even if they did some good, the true condition of their heart is going to be exposed. And we're going to find out, did they believe in their hearts? Did they declare Jesus as Lord with their, their mouth only? Or did they love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all of their mind? Verse 16, one more time. Um, said, and this is the message I proclaim. Paul was sent to send to carry a message. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Paul was commissioned by God to share his message. And in order to receive the grace of God, we first have to be honest before God about our sin. We have to admit that we have a problem. We have to lay down our self-righteousness for the righteousness of Jesus that was offered at a great cost. It's a hard one to close. I know this is a tough sermon uh, to some degree, but, but on, the, on the flip side, you know, uh, the wrath of God shows us our need for God. And that's what we were singing about this morning is the need that we have for God. And for those of us who have experienced salvation, who have experienced forgiveness, when we, uh, when we see the sin in our lives, we know that we are forgiven. We can rejoice in God and be thankful and we can praise him that he has brought us from wrath to eternal life. Um, 
but then there's the world and I'm going to talk about that a little bit after, after we sing this song, but, uh, but there's a need for this message to be out for the world to hear as well. Let's stand. I'm going to pray and we'll sing a song. Dear Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your law, that it is a light on us to show us where we're right with you and where we're wrong with you. Lord, that, that we can identify that uh, we're not perfect, that we're in need of a savior. If we didn't know, we'd be in tough shape. We wouldn't have found you. We wouldn't have come to you, Lord. Your law was not given uh, just to convict us and then leave us, but it was given with a promise, Lord. And we thank you and we celebrate today that we've been brought from death to life, that we've been brought from wrath to grace. Lord, we look forward uh, to, to learning even more about that, Lord. I, 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 I want so much to understand more deeply and more fully the grace that you offered us, to understand what you did for us, Lord, so that we can be transformed all the more, that we can understand how much we've been forgiven so that we can love that much. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Implant your word in our hearts. Lord, um, help us take this message that Paul proclaimed at the beginning of the church and share it with the world today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 1.29. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand and break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. We have all sinned. We've all done something on this list, and God doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass or fail, but God was patient with us. He could have poured out his anger on us the very first time that we sinned, can you imagine what Paul was thinking when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and this light of Jesus shined upon him and he recognized and realized that, that Jesus was God. Jesus was the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. And he was persecuting him by persecuting his church. He must have thought he was done for. This is the end. But God showed him his loving kindness. And God wants to show that loving kindness. He showed it to us. He wants to show it to the world around us too. Even those who've done the big sins. Paul did the big sins. He was part of killing God's people. His desire is not to judge us by the law. He does, that's not what his desire is. The law wasn't given for the purpose of that. He gave it to us so that we would be pointed towards the promise. So we would be warned the law will judge. There will be a judgment for it, but that's not his desire that we would be part of that judgment. He wants us to be pointed towards his provision. He gave the law to us to give us a thirst for forgiveness, for a thirst for right standing with God. We all know that we need water to live. If it were not for the sensation of thirst that we have sometimes, we might die, or at least we'd suffer from dehydration quite a bit because we wouldn't recognize that we're thirsty. It's not a good feeling, 
but it's good that we have thirst. The law was not meant to quench our thirst. It was meant to cause a thirst. When we look hard at that list in Romans, we can see our failings and we can see our shortcomings as we read. Um, one of those things might come to mind uh, of, of, of something we've done in the past that was an, an action that was not righteous. It wasn't good. Um, and like I said before, if you've been forgiven of that, of that action, you can respond with, with a thankfulness that God has saved you, that he's paid the price. Um, but if we have not... It's just a reminder that we owe a debt that we can't pay. And that is great. That is great. We need that. Humankind needs that. They need to know that, that, that they, are, they have a debt that they can't pay. It's a thirst that will lead them to living water. God is not just a just judge and the lawgiver, but looking back at verse 4, he said he is also wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient. Does that mean nothing to you? It's the question for those who haven't received. God is kind and tolerant and patient. Does this mean nothing to you? Do you not see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God's law, his holy character, awakens in us a thirst. It's a thirst that the world des desperately needs. And Paul is pointing it out because people have suppressed it. And he wants to bring back to the surface this thirst for right standing with God, to recognize that they need forgiveness. So we're going to close with uh, verse John 4, 14. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Amen? Those of us here who have received that drink of water, who have received that eternal life that, that stays with us, we, we can mess up. This next week, we'll, we'll do something that we shouldn't have. We'll probably say something that we shouldn't have. In some way, we won't, maybe we won't do something that we should have. But we've taken a drink of that living water. We've put our trust in Jesus. We've made him Lord of our lives. And we have an everlasting, eternal spring that is quenching that thirst. Our, our sins are, are forgiven. And we can rejoice that God made a way to move us from wrath to eternal life. So let's take that message and go and carry it with the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of what Jesus did for us for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen.